Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and last week... We previewed the standalone start to the A-League women's season, and while it didn't knock a hectic weekend of sport off the back pages, the halo effect of the Matildas semi-final heroics in the Women's World Cup was clear. Attendance records broken. In fact, the first two games alone broke the record of just under 16,000 for any round in the history of the league, which had stood for nine years. Crowds who played their part in the terraces with colour and passion without a hint of drama. So now it's time for the men. After a season that was in its embryonic stages last year, when chaos erupted on the weekend of last year's Men's World Cup final. A World Cup where the Socceroos had distinguished themselves only for the fans to disgrace themselves at a Melbourne derby in an over-the-top reaction to an appalling administrative decision. Fast forward 12 months and the men's national side has franked their form at Wembley. If there was ever any doubt that this country can showcase the world game on and off the park, this story across the men's and women's game surely should remove it. So it's over to the players and the fans. We'll discuss all that with one of the leading voices in the world game and one of its voices, Robbie Thompson from 10 Paramount. Then, as we'll dig a little deeper into the theme of the national side after what was a frustratingly efficient debut at Wembley where the Australian men lacked the class they'd found in Qatar in front of goal on the world stage against the three Lions side, who for all the world looked like they were there to be, if not beaten, at least held to what would have been a well-earned stalemate. Instead, they left with the respect and England left asking questions. We'll talk about it through one of our favourite football writers, the chief football writer of the Times, Henry Winter. Edge, um, it was a game that could have delivered so much, couldn't it? I mean, admittedly, Harry Kane and Jude Bellingham weren't playing, but an England side with Jack Grealish up front and, you know, a side that had uh, comfortably been the first side for most countries in the world, um, they were there for the taking, weren't they? Yeah, they were, Robert, though. But what a great weekend to be an Australian football fan or soccer fan. The Socceroos in London, they really did did us proud. I mean, there is definitely a a class gap in talent. However, um, you know, we, we could have uh, got something out of that game, had of um, the chances that we had. Um, one of them went into the back of the net. Um, having said all of that, what about um, also, the, you know, the Australians and Women's Super League continually doing mm. very, very well. And, and the A-League women's, Round one was nothing short of a success. Yep. Absolutely fantastic crowd. 6,000 people, the Central Coast Mariners versus Newcastle in the F3 derby for women. And if you saw the trophy, you would have been scratching your head. And Sydney versus Western Sydney Wanderers, 11,000 for that match. Just terrific start to the season. Mm-hmm. What did you enjoy most about it, Rob? Oh, look, I just think I enjoyed the spectacle um, that 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 um, that Sydney derby um, with Courtney Vine. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later in the week with in stoppage time. But uh, you know, we uh, I think we've got to set our our expectations at a reasonable level, and and there is, as you say, a lot of sport going on right now. So what we're trying to do is just lift the level up incrementally. So the fans turned up, and 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 that that point I made, which you know I'll expand on when we do the the stoppage time pod later in the week is is really to me 
it's the atmosphere that Australians will 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 warm to to attend in their numbers. And that can that coexist with a traditional football atmosphere of active supporters? That that for me is what I saw on the weekend and what I really liked uh, um, over. And it was just a reflection of what happened in the Women's World Cup, wasn't it? Where we just really we we were blessed with. Uh, brilliant atmospheres all around, all over Australia, all over New Zealand in every single match without a hint of drama. Absolutely, yes. No, can't disagree with that. It was it was a fine start to the A-League women's competition. Now, just as we throw to Willem for the news and there's plenty going around, we should let everybody know that uh, Willem, who's um, I earthed and undiscovered under a rock in Russia, um, <laughs> who joined us uh, many years ago and has built himself into a fine broadcaster, is... Uh, jetting off to the UK for a little while and going to have a life experience as you do when you're Willem's age. So Willem, uh, he will be coming back in January, Rob, but uh, mm -hmm. between now and then, our listeners won't hear Willem. We'll have a few other guests programmed, but I just wanted to acknowledge uh, the work that Willem had done uh, every week for us uh, behind the scenes and on uh, on the, the podcast with his voice. So uh, well done, Willem. And I'm sure Rob would like to uh, echo those thoughts. No, absolutely, Ed. You did uh, discover Willem when he, he came uh, to Russia with you on the on the World Cup, the Green and Gold Army World Cup tour. We uh, he saved his dough as a young fellow and as an aspiring sports uh, reporter, a journalist. Uh, he was still uh, studying back in those days, and um, I think we we threw the mic at him and, and gave uh, him that first opportunity to to broadcast uh, in his own right and. Uh, um, a testament to how far he's come is that he is a first uh, choice uh, broadcaster for one of the nation's leading sports uh, organisations, uh, the Sports Entertainment Network. He, uh, he works behind the scenes. He works in front of the mic. Um, I really like uh, Willem Style as uh, as a writer, as a thinker on the game, and um, and really proud to, to see what you've done so far, mate. So, um, as we welcome you to the show this week, mate, um, enjoy the plaudits you've earned them, and uh, enjoy the break you're going to have. And until you, you come back to us. I'm going to be fascinated to see where you land when you get over there, mate, uh, what sort of gig you get. He's got to get through two days in Bangkok with me first. Yeah, I've just packed the uh, the Hoyt's peppercorn spice mix to put on Edge's mantelpiece. That's a little surprise that I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let out of the bag early. No, thank you very much. I didn't know if you were if you're going to say something off the uh, the back of the show, but no, you've, you've caught me unaware. So thank you very much, uh, gentlemen. It's, yeah, working in the industry is really what I've wanted to do my whole life. And you were the two, basically, that gave me the opportunity. And uh I don't feel I've achieved a whole lot. It's all still ahead of me, but I do feel, you know, somewhat settled and, and satisfied with what has gone down on this show over the past five years. So thank you very much. And uh, I did sort of try to think about leaving and I wasn't really allowed, which is a compliment in itself. And I'll take it that way. So no, I'll, 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 you'll hear from me again um, from uh, from early Jan. So excited to see you in a couple of weeks time, Edge. And no, thanks thanks again for, uh, for taking the chance and for the kind words just there, gents. Um, I think you summed up the Socceroos in England pretty well. And we've got Henry Winter to do uh, to do a little bit more of that later on in the show. But I was thinking of you, Edge. How excited are you getting for the potential Asian Cup impact of one of your favourites, the Boiler? We've uh, This is the form we've seen for Hibernian for years now. He's teased and been cut down due to injury with the Australian national team. But if he can get a good run out of over the next couple of months, I think we could be in business come early Jan. Absolutely. And uh, I've seen him up close um, through some of those qualification games. He's an ex excellent player. He's tailor-made for the style of play that Graham Arnold deploys with the Socceroos, that fast transition game. He's extremely slippery. Um, he's incredibly confident. And um, I, I, I'm predicting that if he can remain healthy, the boiler will be the player of the Asian Cup. I think he will tear it apart. 
No, he was red hot at the minute. The chance that Mitch Duke just turned wide was an excellent bit of play to, to open that up and get the cross in. And then the one he laid on for Ryan Strain, I think Ryan's had a, a good little intra, introductory spell to his international career, but I think any other player on the pitch there, uh, Edge might have put that away with a little bit more confidence. But what we can take from it is that I think, not that I've seen a great deal of New Zealand of late, but with respect, I think we're in pretty good shape heading into Wednesday morning's clash for the recovered soccer rashes. So despite the fact that it is only a friendly, there is a little bit uh, in addition uh, on the line there. So bright and early Wednesday morning, Australia time. I want to talk a little bit more about the A-League women as well. My highlights, if I can throw them in there, was that opening clash edge in Gosford. Uh, both Alex Wynn and Faye Bryson, one player from each side, sent off on 78 minutes following a bit of argy-bargy before Molina Ayres had the last laugh on debut for the Jets, uh, heading home. And then in Adelaide, three penalties among an eight-goal uh, split between the Reds and Canberra. At the death, a late deflection helped Amelia Murray shot into the net to share the points. Here's Holly Murray. She looks for That's a wonderful ball. Milivojevic, can she finish? Of course she can. Vesna Milivojevic with her second of the afternoon. We talk about set-piece finishes, but that one from open play, the ball from Holly Murray, the finish from Milivojevic. I think there's some great things to take from both teams from this game. It's round one and it's only early days. We'll come back to that in just a moment as Amelia Murray looks to get a shot away and late in the game, Murray equalises for Adelaide United and it's 4-4 apiece. It took a nasty deflection. The A-League men's season kicks off this Friday with Adelaide hosting the Mariners. We've also got a big blue between Victory and Sydney on the Saturday as the headline fixture. So looking forward to welcoming in Robbie Thompson shortly. Heading abroad, Scotland have qualified for the Euros with two games to spare, marking the first time they've reached a major tournament through a qualifying group as opposed to playoffs since 1997. Rob, Steve Clark's side lost their first qualifier in six to Spain on Thursday, but La Roja's subsequent defeat to or of Norway means that the two nations cannot be caught in the group's final matches, while Wales have also revived their hopes of qualification with a 2-1 win over Croatia that sees them move into second place behind Turkey in Group D. They were going nuts in Cardiff. They were going nuts in Glasgow. Rob, the players and the managers need to do the business, but I think we're seeing probably the most apparent example you will see of uh, what proper home support can mean uh, for these two nations that are not powerhouses internationally, but they, they punch up a little bit. But this is more than, uh, yeah, and I want to talk about Wales a bit more in stoppage time, but this is more than uh, your, your regular support. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I was listening to uh, the BBC the end of the uh, the semi-final, the Rugby World Cup semi-final this morning as we record our time between uh, uh, France and, and South Africa. And, and they were going around the grounds of, of the Euro qualifiers and, uh, and, and were just as excited about the, uh, the, the Scotland result going through um, as, uh, as anything that was going on uh, at, the, at the Rugby World Cup. And, uh, you know, to, to get through a group um, with uh, a side that has no less than uh, Erling Haaland um, uh, in, in the squad uh, for, for Norway, you know, so th- that is, is a significant result. And, and Norway, not out of it altogether, there's a lucky loser um, of the third place sides that, that do get through. But for Scotland to, to carry on from the last Euros uh, into this Euros with this kind of record uh, is, uh, you know, is a real testament to how far that, um, that squad has, has been uh, taken under... Uh, 
under their current uh, management. Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. A reminder that packages are on sale for January's Asian Cup. And beyond that, you can register your interest for the Paris 2024 Olympics where the Matilda's Edge would hopefully be in action. Round two of those qualifiers are going to be played in Perth from October 26. And Tony Gustafsson has this week named 21 of the 23 members of his World Cup squad for that assignment. So out go Kaya Simon and Ivy Lewick to injury. In comes Amy Sayer. And also incoming is Charlize Rule as a train-on player. Now, Edge, WA, and I know you're not short of a, a COVID opinion over the years, but WA can feel isolated from the rest of Australia and never more so sort of during and post-COVID. Uh, so this is the first time the Matildas are going to be there uh, since 2018, which is hugely exciting. And not only one game, but six also featuring Iran, the Philippines, and Chinese Taipei. Well, it'll be Sam Kerr fever, won't it? The Western Australian um, sharpshooter, the superstar of Australian women's football is going home. And um, obviously, they've been able to move um, one of those matches to Optus to ensure that there's a bumper crowd. It's going to be a very, very big uh, event, all of these games. And we're expecting Australia to sail through without any, too many problems. But uh, I'm looking forward to Samantha Kerr uh, returning home tumultuously and scoring plenty of goals in those qualifiers and enjoying a bit of time with her family as well. Amy Sayer fresh from that call-up went out netted in Sweden. The sealer for Christian Stat in a 2-0 win, so she comes in uh, with a good bit of confidence, you'd hope. Mary Fowler laid off two assists for Man City in a 5-0 win over Bristol on the weekend. Sam made her first start of the new season and scored the opener in a 2-0 win over West Ham. And in France, Claire Hunt came on for her PSG debut in midweek Champions League action against Manchester United, uh, no less. And to close, Rob, you've had your eye, as we often do, on Kevin Musket over the past couple of weeks. There were strong links to Rangers which he came out uh, and rebuffed. He reaffirmed, at least verbally, his commitment to Yokohama uh, F. Marinos. They've bowed out of the J-League Cup over the weekend at the semi-final stage, and they now have a, they now have a huge final five league games uh, where they need to overhaul a four-point deficit to Vissel Kobe while also juggling some pretty winnable Champions League fixtures. Uh, so it's all coming home to roost over the next three or so weeks for Muskie. Well, you know, good finish to the season. Whether they win it or not, I think his reputation has, has been uh, firmly established. So, uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of uh, noise around the potential start at Rangers. But, you know, the way they uh, go through their coaches, uh, you know, he might be next in line. So, you know, watch this space. But I, I think well done to, to Muskie for even being in consideration. It just talks to uh, the ongoing uh, 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 respect that's being shown in the wake of uh, Vance Postacolu's success. So um, hopefully you can uh, and, um, overtake uh, Vissel Kobe and, uh, and win that J-League uh, uh, title again. Yeah, first up, uh, Consadolo Sapporo, uh, Sapporo this Saturday. It's not quite the, the once-in-a-lifetime job that they say of international management, though. Is it Rob the Rangers one? It'll come up again. No, no, it's exactly. It's uh, if uh, if if the recent times are anything to go by. So, um, yeah, we'll just uh, hopefully see Muskie. You know, I'd, I'd love to see him in the championship. That That is one level where I think he'd really thrive if there was a, a, a team that maybe was battling for... Um, you know, for survival, uh, you know, around mid-season. He's got that written all over him, doesn't he, Edge? Um, you know, a hard, nuggety, tough side that needs a, a firm manager. Yeah, he does. But, you know, he's done exceptionally well in Japan. The lifestyle over there is fantastic. Um, he'll be a superstar over there. Why would you want to leave and go and eat haggis in the cold weather of Glasgow? Well, if you if you get a, a big gig like that, that might give you an entree into the Premier League. Maybe who's to say that Rangers is a bigger gig than Yokohama? Who's to say that? 
Well, it might just get a few more eyeballs paying attention to him is what I'm saying. I think uh, you take the point. Um, I don't know that it, that old mate Ange would have got a, a start um, in the Premier League straight out of the J-League, um, but, uh, you know, it was a stepping stone and perhaps that uh, yes, is so what I'm we're suggesting. A bit of fun, but... Either way, he's become very accustomed to just the sort of chilled out white t-shirt in Japan, so we might need to rug up a little bit more. So maybe he is just happy wearing uh, yeah, his very relaxed management style on the touchline, very different to uh, when he used to fly in for the victory. Yeah, I'm mm. sure he's got a turtleneck sweater that he could wear in Scotland if he gets the opportunity. Hmm. Well, we'll find out. All right, boys, well done. I'm going to go and uh, get myself a cup of coffee and uh, and hit mute and, and listen to you guys have a chat with Robbie Thompson. Uh, really looking forward to the start of... If the if the men's A-League um, was uh, was what uh, we were sort of hoping would um, become the, the, the bright, shiny new toy, um, it, it now has to sort of sit there... Uh, with the knowledge that the women's A-League competition is is finding its voice and space. So um, can the men um, step it up another level and, uh, and can well, the fans... If you're Western terrorists... United, you'd be a bit worried, wouldn't you? Because um, they actually, the Western United men might have um, uh, less people going to the games than most of the other women's teams. I don't know about that, Edge. I think at Parramatta Stadium we'll see a fair crowd uh, attend uh, the Red and Black Block. Um, reckon Western, uh, not that no, no, I'm talking about Western United out of Melbourne. You reckon Western United's oh, going to get more sorry. than 11,000 people at their first home game? Okay, yeah, no, them, yeah point, point taken. Sorry, I'm thinking Western. Yes, no, okay, we'll, we'll find that out. Okay, you guys, I'm going to step off now, talk to Robbie Thompson. That's coming up next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. The opening round of the A-League women's dished up some cracking entertainment and over the past weekend. And from Friday, we're back to the full complement of Australian professional football with the return of the A-League men's competition. Robbie Thompson will be calling the action for Paramount Plus and Channel 10 once again, as he has the past couple of campaigns. And Robbie, it's always a pleasure to welcome you to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, looking forward to it. Trying to just check my pulse, make sure it's staying down and that I'm staying calm enough to keep the voice, you know, level. (laughs) Going to hand over to Edge to get into the meat of the season that we have before us in just a second. But before I do, everyone else on this show has had their say on the Socceroos against England. So it'll be remiss of us not to ask the man who called it. Uh, Your opinion on the action, was that an opportunity to write a historic, if perhaps inconsequential in the long run, but certainly it would have been a, another historic chapter, perhaps lost for, for Graham Arnold's men? Um, yeah, insofar as it was a change up England side, um, I think we could see the individual quality of the, the England players was, I think, superior to, to the Socceroos. But as a team, and tactically, once again, Arnie, Arnie showed that he can get this team to listen, get them disciplined. I thought on transition, we were very dangerous. I thought we had great chances to score. Um, and, you know, that was always going to be our opportunity with England with a unprecedented starting 11. They weren't used to playing together. Um, there were, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, perfect England by any, by any stretch. So yeah, it was an opportunity for us, but I think we showed that, you know, we can, we can mix it. And if other teams have an off day, we can, we can nab something. Yeah, it certainly was an exciting event and another step forward for the Socceroos. But let's talk about A-League uh, men's football resuming on the weekend, Robbie. It's uh, terribly exciting. Uh, one of the big developments in the off-season was the announcement of an independent chairperson, former ALP Senator Stephen Conroy. And we know um, 
because of his public comments and people in the game know that he's a big fan of the sport. Um, what did you make of that appointment? And if you were him, what would be your priorities? Oh, goodness. I, I think if, if it's any uh, football person, the priorities are, are unchanged for, <laughs> for 20 years, aren't they? I mean, the, the, the priorities are to, to translate this incredible participation rate and fan rate of, of European football, of other football leagues, and try and harness that to get bums on seats and eyeballs on TVs and, and get the, the domestic game into the, the 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 national psyche because I think that's the only thing that's that's really that's that's really missing on the on the football pitch the the football's great it's exciting um, the clubs are, are doing their bit they're you know working hard fully professional these days for the men and the women I think you know that obviously there are things to improve upon I think making a political appointment like that I think it's important that it's independent. Um, because we know we've got we've got ownership issues in the league. We've got, you know, the the APL since taking over is a, is a is a business. They're looking to make business decisions. We also need an independent uh, position posting to to give it a bit of balance and to look beyond necessarily just uh, just financial gain for for what is a a, a business project. Um, and there's also the political, hopefully, political lobbying aspect that comes with having a, 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 a politician in this type of position. Arnie came and, and said it again during the week um, in the lead up to the England game. Funding is an issue. Um, the support needs, the sport needs support from, from institutions, from public institutions, from, from the government. And... And hopefully all that will come. But I mean, the most important thing we know, the most important thing is not what's happening on the football pitch. What's happening on the pitch, like any football league, is great value, great entertainment. And uh, and the players deserve a whole lot more respect than they're getting. Probably that's one way to put it, is that the sport deserves a whole lot more respect than it gets in, in Australia. And hopefully, you know, this is one uh, position that can try and bring that about. Robbie, you mentioned in your answer the uh, ownership issues with the clubs. Newcastle and Perth uh, are still under the administration of the head office. If you're a Perth fan or a Newcastle fan, are you going into this season with one ha one hand tied behind your back? And can you be um, optimistic about your team's chances or uh, the financial constraints that are obvious to the outside looking in are going to uh, impact on your team's performance? I think... Uh... Newcastle have one hand behind their back. Um, I think Perth's at least they have their fingers crossed behind their back because I think they are they are in a position where it it looks as though all the noises coming out of out of Western Australia are that it's going to happen soon. Obviously, the club went into receivership, so there's no massive price tag um, involved in taking over the license, as I understand it. So that's a far more attractive. Uh, proposition to to potential investors in in Perth Glory, so I think that explains in part why why they're further down the track in terms of new ownership. We've been hearing rumours since I've been back in the country, probably four different separate rumours about Newcastle. Like every six months, we hear there's a there's a new investor, there's an owner coming. It's almost done. They've almost got it across the line. It's not happening. Um, so look, it's more of a wait and see for Newcastle, but I'm, I'm, I hope that all the noises I hear out of Perth are that it's nearly done, that it's going to get across the line, that 
you know, and again, what they're doing off the pitch, I mean, Stadge, they've got a couple of exciting signings. Hopefully, you know, they'll be able to give that give that Perth Glory logo a little bit more luster than, it, than it's seen the last couple of years. Well, that'll be an interesting to watch those developments. But let's talk about uh, some on-field stuff. I guess um, one of the big clubs in the competition, they like to call themselves the most supported or the biggest club in Australia, Melbourne Victory. Can they rise from what was just a, a horrible uh, event last year? Can they rise from the ashes and uh, and retain or regain their status in the league as being the big daddy club and um, and play off at the pointy end? Look, I think it's difficult to to say, even if you are a, a, a big club like this, it would be a massive surprise if you were able to turn around a season like they had and fight for the title, fight for the, you know, positions one or two and really be up there. Um, not saying it can't happen, but but I think you've got to be pragmatic about it. They're coming from, they've had, last season was just so dramatic um, off the pitch as well as well as on it for them. Um, they really struggled. We thought towards the end, you know, everyone was saying, look, they're Melbourne victory. They're still going to make the six. Do you remember that? In the, in the last two months of the season, it was nobody wanted to write them off because they're this, this big club and it didn't happen. And that's, you, you have to accept that when things get to a point, you know, miracles are few and far between in, in this league. We've got a lot of clubs in, in the, the Melbourne victory sort of, status at the moment of trying to bounce back from difficult seasons um popper is a coach we know that can do it uh, i think there haven't there hasn't been too much movement in their in their squad they've got a couple of you know i i think the um damien de silva being still there at the back is important i mean they've got fornaroli up front as well they've got they've got some big game players who can who can perform their do their duty in the league and that's what it's all about it's about being pragmatic i don't think you need to to be Melbourne victory from what they've experienced last year and what happened in the Melbourne Derby and all of that on and off the pitch. Yes, they need to bounce back, but let's take some little steps. They don't have to jump back and be fighting for the league. They, they need to make the six, obviously. Um, every club needs to make the six at the start of the season. I think victory uh, are in that situation. And Robbie, before I hand back to Willem, um, obviously the reigning champions, Central Coast Mariners, uh, a big blow for them. Uh, Nick Montgomery and uh, are the coaching team effectively going over to Scotland mm. to Hibernian. We, we celebrate that as a really significant achievement for the A-League men's competition, but it's going to have an impact on Central Coast. How much of an impact do you think that'll have? Massive, massive impact on, on Central Coast. That and the fact that, I mean, one of the keys to Central Coast last season, and we call it a fairy tale. It's not just because it's the Central Coast, a, a small club, a young squad. It's because it was almost mystical the way the way it all came together. And I'm a big one for, for pragmatism. And I think it's really what that coaching staff achieved, what they were able to do by by bringing these kids, by creating this chemistry, by having, you know, these these Brazilians that needed a second chance. It was a bit like last chance you or something, you know, this sort of picking these players, Benny and Cololo, these guys that that hadn't made it, that that were sort of on the edge of do we try and keep going professionally? Marco Tulio, who's struggling in Portugal. Let's give these guys another chance. Jason Cummings is the the figurehead of of that, and uh, 
they bring them in and manage to to turn the things around with the kids, the local kids that have come through the ranks there. I mean, everything about it was fairy tale esque, and I think Monty and Serge and Miguel deserve so much credit for that. Let's not write off Mark Jackson before he's even started. You know, he's got a good record with with the kids by all accounts at Leeds, but um. It's a big blow. It's a big blow and certainly and losing a few of those players are a big blow as well. Robbie, just a final one. This time, 12 months ago, MacArthur were newly crowned Australia Cup champions and just momentarily, Dwight York was proving them all wrong. So we know it's folly to read too much into uh, the Australia Cup uh, at the outset of the campaign. But what do you feel, forecast for the Raw? Uh, we've had Ross on over the past couple of weeks um, and you speak of Melbourne victory and the luster and what their badge used to represent and where it's at now, the raw more than anyone have that sort of romantic connection to the Australian game and what we saw under Andrew all those years ago, 10 years since their last trophy. What are you What are you expecting given the exposed form that we have seen under Ross? I'm hoping the same sort of thing as, as I was actually thinking of, of Brisbane when I was talking about Melbourne victory as well. I think you're spot on. They're, they're another big club with a big history um, and they've taken a, another big turn. They're I don't think we fully understand from what I've heard out of the camp and what what people behind the scenes have been saying of just how tough it was for Brisbane Raw to try and achieve what they were what they were doing on the pitch. They've got some fantastic players. I mean Jay O'Shea is a, a brilliant player. That run to the to the final was you know, I think it had a lot to do with Ross because from what I've heard he was really working above and beyond the the call of a of a head coach as well. I mean, if you guys spoke to him, he will have he will have told you all how difficult it was in fight. You know, they've only just moved to Ballymore, I think. So they've finally got a training training centre now. They didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. They didn't have any staff. Um, the budget was reduced. They had to rely on the kids and the kids stepped up. We saw Tom Waddingham in the in the cup with a fantastic run. He looks a he looks a really good player. Scored for the the Joeys again in that tournament in Spain uh, this week. Um so look, I'm hopeful, but I think we need to be reserved and and calm in our judgment again. It's little steps again from them. They're coming from a long, long way back. They've got backroom staff has changed, the offices have changed, everything's changed. So you can't expect to just click your fingers and and it's all gonna it's all gonna work. But look, it would be great for Raw, it would be great for MacArthur, for for Perth, for all these clubs to be competitive on the pitch. To do that, you've got to get off the pitch right. And that's what sometimes proves a real challenge for for the A-League clubs. If we can do it, we're going to have another great season. Well, Friday night, Robbie, we rip in again. Adelaide hosting the Mariners. I should have asked you before we started, which which clash or clashes are you going to be behind the mic for this week? I am on Friday night. Well, Friday, so yep. It's going to be a massive clash at Adelaide versus the Mariners. I've got City versus Western United. And then <gasps> Wanderers versus Phoenix on Sunday. So it's a big weekend for me, but I've been waiting long enough. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Three games this weekend. And then, of course, there's a big blue on Saturday night with Simon. Um, it's going to be, hopefully, a fantastic weekend, just like the women were last weekend. Fantastic, Robbie. Always good to thrash out the big issues off the pitch and always good to hear you call the action on it. So thank you again for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Good luck. Robbie Thompson there of Paramount Plus and Channel 10. Stick around on the other side of the break. Edge stays, Rob returns, and we'll be joined by Henry Winter. Hey, hey, Willem, you mentioned you've been uh, uh, packing for your big trip. Have you been down to Chemist Warehouse to pack up your, uh, your, your medicine bag? I haven't as yet. It's one of my last jobs remaining, and I haven't done it, Rob, because I want to ask Edge what he needs me to bring over. What do you need? 
uh, my friend. Oh, I need some of that um, no-dos that uh, Rob keeps going on about. He sees there's been specials the last couple of weeks, hasn't there? Yeah, no, there's been some great deals. Um, so uh, get on down there. They're still uh, uh, very, very sharp prices down at Chemist Warehouse. But what about the Wagner Vitamins? There, there's good deals there. Do you need some Super Bio Magnesium 100 tablets? It's just ten ninety nine. Magnesium I mean, never goes astray in my household. How many baht is that? Ten ninety nine. Uh, 10.99 is about uh, 250 baht, Rob. Oh, it's a deal. Microgenic stress relief. You're not a stress guy, are you? Each uh, 60 capsules I'm, for 12.99. I'm completely, completely calm, 100% of the time. <laughs> Zen, Zen master. <laughs> if you were any more laid back, you'd be horizontal, wouldn't you, mate? Newly new healthy care double strength fish oil, 200 mini capsules for 16.99, and the Nature's Way glucosamine. After I did that half marathon on the weekend, I need a bit of that. Plus fish oil, 200 capsules for $20.99. Now, Willem, remember, in addition to visiting your local chemist warehouse store, you can order online and click and collect to save time in case you're rushing in the last minute. Uh, uh, chaos of packing to, to go overseas for, well, a couple of years, I reckon. Uh, it's an always a nice option to have, Rob, but the crisp blue shirts, you know what they mean to me. I'll be back in one last time. Of course you will. Or choose fast delivery, same day, home delivery, T's and C's. Charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Well, it is exciting times in football in this country now. Great to listen to the boys talk to Robbie Thompson there from 10 Paramount about the uh, the men's A-League competition about to kick off this weekend in the wake of the women's standalone off the back of the World Cup. Uh, but one of the... The teams that we all enjoy and have enjoyed for so many years now, uh, even in the difficult times of non-qualification for World Cup now, it sort of seems like we take it for granted. And then when they turn up at Wembley for the first time ever, play in front of 81,000 people, and we're left disappointed that we can't at least draw against England. That probably suggests to you uh, how far football has come in Australia, especially post the, the, the golden generation of the of the 2000s. And uh, a man who did a bit of a deep dive into the, the national manager, Graham Arnold, uh, with the Times, no less than Henry Witter joins us on the line. How are you, Henry? Hi, guys. Yeah, even better for being the right way up. I managed <laughs> to get my uh, my screen the wrong way around. I don't know whether it's an Australian thing. And my computer said, you're going down under, you've got to be. But now I'm uh, I'm seeing you seeing you in the flesh perfect and, and for our listeners uh, as we logged on for uh, for the recording of the podcast we did think henry was taking the p15s just a little <laughs> bit with his camera upside down but it he was like uh, spider-man didn't he Rob? he did he was <laughs> playing it. but uh hey henry he does, um, he on the web. <laughs> very good um i i'm in, i've subscribed to the times because i i enjoy um reading so much of what's uh, uh, published on that uh, that newspaper, but uh, so much of the great sport, international sport and football. Uh, but when uh, you dropped your article with uh, with Graham Arnold in the lead up to that friendly uh, the other day, you know, caught my eye straight away. Uh, uh, before we get into the game itself, um, what struck you most about talking to Arnie in in the lead up to to that match in the context of of not only his ability as a manager but his history as a player and football in the con the broader context of its place in in australian uh, uh sporting uh, environment with so much competition in this country i find it just like talking to you guys talking to someone who's straight honest mm. fun up front 
bought me a coffee and you know i mean he was just a just just a good guy a guy you just want to sort of have a, a good chat with um i obviously knew about his career i knew about 2003 i was there in uh, in upton park i think sven's still uh, subbing off a couple of uh, players as we speak um and obviously arnie was <clears throat> number two to was it frank farina then and so i knew all about his experience in the game what a good coach he was i think a couple of years back he got linked with bolton wanderers and norwich city over here so you know he's well known within the in English game. Plus also there's a, an extra focus on the quality of Australian coaches. I can't say young coaches because Ange and, and Arnie aren't young, but experienced coaches who've, who've, who've coached in different countries. Obviously, Arnie had his playing career in Europe, particularly in Holland. I mean, one of his first games, as he was saying, was against Ajax. And he had a beer with Bobby Robson. And anyone who's had a beer with Bobby Robson, Sir Bobby Robson in, uh, you know, for, for, for English people, that is a, uh, that is a great honour. And it's a, so, you know, he came over here well respected. And then we saw, you know, before our eyes, you say 81,000 at Wembley on an absolutely filthy, filthy mm. night with all the tensions going into the game because of, you know, Wembley, the FA not lighting up the arch in Israel's colours without going into the sort of, you know, the, the technicalities and politics of that. There was a tension in the air and some people were genuinely put off going because security mm. and they wanted to make a stand against the FA. So it was a fantastic turnout. The Australian fans, as ever, whether it's expat, there are a few travelling. They've actually got a game against, is it the Supporter Roos are playing against the England fans <clears throat> in West London today. Good luck, it's absolutely freezing. Um, so the atmosphere was terrific. The sport from the Aussies was good. And we saw all of what, Arnold and Rennie Moulinstein, his assistant, who I know well, have been instilling in, as you say, it's not a necessarily a golden generation of players, but it's still got that golden Aussie mentality, that mm. DNA, that desire to win, chase every ball. So absolutely so well organised. You know, in England, I know England, basically England's second level, but that is a good England team, you know, and they had to bring on players to sort of maintain that momentum. And it should have been a draw. Conor Gallagher should have been sent off for two yellow cards. So... Yeah, I was I was impressed meeting Arnie and even more impressed having seen the work that he's clearly doing so well with the team. So I feel like you, you almost answered my next question in a lot of ways because we we do have to be conscious of, uh, you know, a, a historical cultural cringe that we have of seeking validation from, from other countries in sports where we're not historically uh, up on the top level because there are so many other sports uh, where we're used to winning whether it's at olympic level or whether it's cricket or or, or less to a lesser extent rugby these days uh, but um what um what we're really enjoying i guess most of all off the back of that qatar world cup result uh, was that we we barely scraped in and needed to do it against a you know a, a pretty high quality south american outfit in peru but then when we got there that um that the team really stepped up and and showed what a a team you know that classic old mantra of a of team of champ a champion team can can compete against a team of champions. Absolutely, and I also I mean I remember the uh, the Argentina game out there in the knockout round. I mean that was what was it two one in the end mm -hmm. against the eventual champions. And you know obviously Messi's always going to be a threat, but you look at that team there and that Argentinian team was beginning to accelerate, beginning to evolve, and to push them so close and. I mean, Arnie was sort of playing down the fact that Lequipe had given him 
coach of the tournament because they didn't want to give it to uh, the Arctic to Scaloni, the Argentinian coach, uh, France having lost in the final. But yeah, I think he came back with reputation enhanced. I mean, if you look at the team's clubs that he's picking his players from, you know, it is St Mirren, it is Ipswich, it is the bench at Leicester City in the championship. Whereas we can remember 2003, you guys were probably there. I mean, 2003, you had you had Viduka, you had Kuehl, you had Mark Schwarzer, you had Popovich, you had all these players. So what he has done, I think, was it was even more impressive. But your, your point about seeking validation, I do find slightly odd because you're Australian. You look at how your country has evolved. You look at the sort of DNA of your your people. Any English man or woman who is going in to play sport at whatever level, whether it's tennis, whether it's a team game like football, rugby, cricket, whatever, knows they're going to be in for a fight. I mean, I went to a couple of the Ashes tests in the in the summer and you just knew that the England fans were going to barrack some of the Australian players. The Australian players were going to give it back with bat and ball because of that innate DNA. Now, whether that's a sort of football thing in Australia feeling slightly further down the pecking order, it shouldn't do because it is the world sport. You have just hosted, along with New Zealand, but particularly Australia, hosted a fabulous Women's World Cup. You know, looking at it from afar, all the stadia were full. You know, we're seeing one or two of your players and particularly your coaches um, coming over here. And just sort of kind of revolutionised the view of um, Australian football over here. But I think the view over here was a little bit behind because we knew how good Postacoglu was because of his work at Celtic and in Japan. So I don't think you need any validation. Henry, what did you think of uh, Graham Arnold's game style? Um, attempting to deny England space. He was, it seemed at times, very happy for England to have possession and then look for a rapid transition. What do you think of that game style um, in modern international football? I liked the doubling up on Grealish on your right-hand side. Uh, Grealish, okay, he's not fully fit. He's sort of easing his way back into form after a, a dead leg, but he's still a fabulous talent. He's a £100 million player. I don't know what that is in, in Aussie dollars, but, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot. Um, James Madison, who's having a fantastic season for Tottenham Hotspur under Ange, you know, he was, it's almost like he's been sort of inspired by an Australian coach this season and then had a straight jacket put on him by another Australian coach on his very clever tactics in, in flooding midfield. But just the work rate, the organisation, you, you could just see that back four was sort of drilled, protected. You know, everyone put a, put a shift in um, and you should have scored. Was it was it Strain who had the the, the, yes, the chance yeah. which which Dunk cleared? I mean, he could have put it either side of him. I mean, it was a you know Arnie would have put that away. Um, so look, you should have had it. You should have had a I say a point, but you should have had a draw there because I just thought you were you, you were you were terrific. And there are a lot of question marks over Gareth Southgate as ever. You know, what the England media people like me are like with the England coach. We want sort of Ramsey and Robson and Venables rolled up into one which is not going to happen. But, you know, there were a few question marks over Southgate and I think most of the England players thought it was a lucky win. Well, politics is never far from sport. We saw it on the weekend with um, the booing. Uh, obviously, it was interesting to see just what it means for Gareth Southgate and his response to Jordan Henderson's substitution post-match when he said he didn't really understand why uh, he was getting booed. But can you, for the Australian uh, football fan... Um, take us into that issue and 
what it means for English fans to boo one of their own? I mean, it's it's quite serious, particularly at a, a time like this when there's so much of a feel-good factor around the the England team and this generation of England players. I think the first there is criticism of Jordan Henderson going to Saudi Arabia to play, and people see the hypocrisy in him doing that. And that is a word we use to his face after the game in the in the, in the mix zone when Jordan, to be fair to him, he came out and sort of talked and confronted his critics because um, he knows we're the conduit to to, to the fans. And we said to him, I said, listen, if you are, if you do go out on a limb and if you do campaign for LGBTQ, for, for, for gay rights, and you then go to a country where being gay is illegal, you are going to get criticism. You are, you know, for me in, um, in print, television, whatever, you are going to get booed by fans. I think what the fans were mainly insulted about was that he was effectively insulting them by saying, well, I've actually gone over there sort of to develop the game in Saudi. No one believes that. So don't insult our intelligence. Don't insult the fans' intelligence. If it said, right, I want to go back to Sunderland, where I started out, I want to help this young team develop and, you know, with this fantastic fan base that I know in Sunderland and drive them up into the Premier League. His legacy as one of the sort of most influential, impressive footballers in English history, lifting the Champions League, lifting the, the, the title with, uh, with Liverpool, would have been even more enhanced. Because that would have been a fantastic thing to do. And, and, but then he's he's gone the other way and he said, right, actually, I mean, he'd never say this in public, but he said, it's all about money. But, you know, if he'd been honest and he said to, to us, said, guys, you know, everyone wants to provide security to their family. They've made me an offer which I simply can't refuse. I'm going for the money. Then I think the England fans and the English media would have respected that and just said, right, you know, at least he's being honest with us. He's not taking us for fools. It's the insulting of the intelligence that had the fans booing. And then his naivety afterwards said, well, I'm not really sure why they're booing. And then kind of so we led him to sort of explain to him why they were booing. Southgate, what Southgate says, what managers say, you know, he's always going to back his player. Southgate's an intelligent individual, emotionally aware individual. He's got cute political antennae. He would understand the reaction of the fans, but obviously he's not going to criticise his player. Yeah, it's an interesting development, wasn't it? Just a bit of a sideline to it. And I'm sure it wasn't lost on you, our, our own coach, Graham Arnold, taking a swipe at Australia's political leaders. Um, I'm not sure whether you recognise when Graham said that some of our political leaders uh, lose their scarfs on the way home from the football because of uh, lack of funding for our game. And he, in particular, the, the, one of the, the big issues that our coach raises regularly is there is no home for the Socceroos. He, he made the parallel in the lead up to the England game about the English FA's home and what it means to build a home base and a culture for the sport. So uh, politics and sport and in football, it's never far away from each other, is it, Henry? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of football politics. And I mean, I'd take a slightly different stance on that because when there was a, the prospect of Wembley be, being rebuilt in 2000, there was effectively £767 million on the table. Wembley could have been sold off and okay, people would have got emotional because of the name. But with £767 million, you could have built six or seven um, sports, um, national football centres around the country to develop. We've got a problem. Look, you're a very healthy country, but we have a problem with obesity, mental health, physical health amongst kids in this country. We could have had, you could have invested in grassroots across the country, and we have a crisis in grassroots. There'll be games off this weekend because of frost and because you can't get someone to sort of get the pitch ready and the crossbars are broken and whatever. So I wasn't necessarily obsessed with the, the need to have a national stadium. 
because if you go to a lot of a lot of the countries obviously have one main stadium that they tend to use but it isn't really a national home it's a sort of an appropriated club home and if you look around the premier league we're not short of great stadiums where you could have it and also the, the england national team doesn't belong to the football association in the nice cozy home in in london it belongs to the people of the northeast the northwest the midlands and i, I really enjoyed it when there was a, a road trip in fact didn't we play oz up in uh, in sunderland yes, was it Yes, we're, was that, I think that was under Ange as well. It was. So, yes, it um, was. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it was brilliant that it went around the country. So, I, I but to, to on Arnie's sort of broader point about sort of investing, um, absolutely. I mean, he actually took me through your the countries you've got to play on on the road. I mean, the broader political thing is I don't understand how you are having to. I mean, no one in the world can actually have your qualifying program which is bonkers i mean you're playing games closer to london than they are to sydney in some of your qualifying games i mean the the, the politics of that and, and haven't you got palestine coming up soon as well i mean we do that's right yeah. it, it, it is i mean I, I remember the story of massimo luongo talking to his teammates at qpr back uh, before the 2018 uh, qualification and he got the map out and explained exactly where he'd been in the last the last eight months uh, through that qualification process and his teammates almost fell off the chair. They just couldn't believe the amount of travel he'd done. So, yeah, we are at a disadvantage like that, but it also uh, enhances the culture of the team and what they do together, Henry. Yeah, plus there are more places for you. Aren't you going from four and a half to eight for the World Cup? That is right. Okay, my maths is terrible, but that's good. So, in a way, that kind of takes some of the sting out of qualifying. It does. It takes the pressure off. But uh, on that very point, Henry, um, we're, we're not always the the favourite nation in the uh, AFC, uh, and and it's indicated by the the way that FIFA's announced the the the, um, the process by which the twenty twenty thirty four World Cup is uh, is about to be uh, almost gifted to Saudi Arabia. Um, is there any hope of of a proper process occurring, or is is this just going to be handed over uh, to our new mates um, who who um, have have uh, put together a a profile of of support in in some of the key countries around the world and um, and countries like Australia who we've just shown could easily host a men's World Cup uh, even you know with New Zealand again. Um, and and do it brilliantly surely uh fifa have got a um uh, a, a enough um self-awareness to to be conscious that a, a proper process would at least be worthwhile to give them a shred of credibility about the ultimate decision yeah i, I think you pretty much answered your own question i mean proper process and fifa don't go together a uh, shred of credibility i think you've been generous to to fifa there i mean isn't infantino still living in qatar he'll probably move to to, to saudi next I think it's absolutely disgraceful they've come out and and done that. I mean, we are. I understand it's all about politics, bolstering Infantino's position. But if you actually look at it from a fan's perspective, where would you like a World Cup to be? Do you want it? And also from an English, sorry, European league's perspective, where would you like the World Cup to be? Do you really want it to be in November, December again, which will have to be in Saudi as it was in Qatar because of the heat? Or would you rather have it in a... A country which has a, a footballing history. Look, Saudi has a footballing history. I understand that. But what you showed with the Women's World Cup, you showed that the, the stadiums were there. I take Arnie's point about a national stadium, but you know you've got the stadium. You can develop some more. The, you know, what it does to also to what it would do to the A League as well to develop that. 
I think it's absolutely disgraceful that you are not even be given a proper chance. I mean, if you're on, you know, the the Australian FA at the moment, would you necessarily, and the government, would you necessarily commit whatever it needs to sort of two, three million pounds to to prepare a bid which you know is going to go to Saudi? I, I think it's absolutely shocking. I also think the 2030 is just a mess as well. You could have had a big celebration game of Uruguay and the centenary rest of the world against you know the sort of latin american the lionel messi 11. can you imagine you've had a cristiano ronaldo 11 european 11 against a lionel messi latin american 11 mm. in or two games one in montevideo one in buenos aires celebration of 2030 and then we move over to europe for the um for morocco morocco europe uh spain and portugal so it's a complete mess by fifa but this is all about infantino as you're alluding to infantino strengthening his long-term position i think it's a real pity because i think 2034 in australia and new zealand would be absolutely you know fantastic can you imagine if the world cup was next week and we were going to a country all the front pages all your debates would be about what are Saudi's connections with Hamas? Without getting too political, I don't know if they've got connections, but that will be the first question people will be asking. Yeah, well, you know, that uh, argument's been going for uh, a few thousand years now, Henry, so I don't think it's yeah. going to change in the next uh, 10 or 12, is it? So, um, you know, they uh, they play with that kind of fire at their own peril. And, um, and you know, this is, you know, I come from uh, a very multicultural family, as anyone who listens to this show knows. My, you know, I'm half Aussie on my dad's side from an English uh uh, Irish background, but I'm a, my mother was born in Lebanon. I mean, that's typical of right. this country. So, you know, it's uh, it's no indication of any sort of bias towards the Middle East or otherwise. So I'd love to see the Middle East flourish and do well. Uh, but, uh, but it, uh, you know, we, we talk about, you know, Australian sort of cultural uh, uh, elements uh, in this conversation. And one of them is the culture of a fair go. And that def- definitely is not taking place here right now. Hey, Henry, um, for, look, without you know, pissing in your pocket, to use another Australian colloquial term. Um, you, you're really always generous with us, uh, our uh, our football podcast in this country. Um, we, we like to, to present um, a prestige uh, uh, show as best we can. And um, and when it comes to the top shelf, mate, um, you are always generous uh, uh, with your time and um, having a good yarn to us. And uh, we know that our listeners love it. And uh, I'd like to talk to you for another hour, mate. But, uh, uh, but I think we'd better move on and let you go about your day. Well, respect to you. I've got to go off and watching in the training now, but respect to you and your team. And thanks for having me on the uh, the right way up. Sorry if I was, uh, I was uh, a man down under to start with. Uh, yeah, we got a giggle to start. Henry Winter from the Times Chief Football Writer. If you're not already a subscriber, do yourself a favour and, um, and you'll read some of the best football copy opinions and coverage uh, uh, that there is available in the world of football. Okay, stick around. We talked World Cup already, but we're going to talk some more about it next on Box to Box. Well, 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 everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices, yeah. Now, we talk about flavour-packed meals on this show all the time. And, Willem, you're heading over to the UK. Now, do you know what you can find the very best of over in London or all over England when, when you travel there? What type of food? Uh, pub meals. The pub meals, yes, but curries. If you think you can eat a good curry in Australia, mate, take it up another level. I'm talking about authentic flavours just about every single place you go. Now, do you like a, a chicken tikka masala one? 
100%. Big time, very much so. And you, you know how many spices are, are, are used to make that. So we've got Derek's favourite, of course. Do you remember what that is? Uh, no, you've caught me off guard. What was it? Oh, you could have had a choice of two. The garam masala. Garam masala, that's it. That's well, it. He, he would have said the bay leaf, but I don't necessarily know I'd put a bay leaf into my chicken marinade. So, you know, you get the yogurt, of course, it's chicken, uh, but you need some Hoyt's ginger powder. You don't need fresh because, to me, the flavour, that robust flavour that you get out of the, the, the ginger powder is just as good. Garam masala, turmeric, cumin, Hoyt's chilli and salt. That's all you need with the yogurt. You marinate the chicken and uh, leave it overnight and then you make a delicious sauce. You just need a little bit of oil and some butter, of course, and onion some fresh garlic, but then more of that ginger, more of that garam masala, cumin, turmeric, ground coriander. I mean, it's all there. You make the sauce, simmer the chicken edge. You love a curry, don't you? Oh, I love a curry, Rob. And what you're talking about and all those wonderful herbs and hoots, herbs and spices, you're making me a bit hungry. Absolutely. So once you've marinated the chicken and you've made the sauce and just let it simmer for about two hours, make whatever flavour rice you like, a bit of fresh coriander on the top, mate, it is absolutely delicious. You will absolutely make the best curry in the world if you get along to your local Coles, Woolworths or good independent supermarket and buy your Hoyts, won't you, Edge? Absolutely, I'm there. No question about it. Our friends at Hoyts, Johnny Accardo and all the family, we love you. Fill those empties with points and spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. It's World Cup corner time. Great chatting with Henry Winter from the Times. He um, he's one of my favourite football people around the world, and of course, sitting back listening to you boys talk to Robbie Thompson. Uh, but Willem, before you, well, we're going to do stoppage time. That'll be your last uh, contribution for a few months. But uh, in so far as uh, Box to Box, the the main show is concerned, um, what are you going to um, start off with um, for for World Cup corner? There's a heap going on. Yeah, there's always plenty going on, Rob. Just looking to uh, the future of the Australian game and a couple of tidbits that are going to shape where football goes for its next crack uh, at World Cups, men's and women's this week. Uh, some Football Australia reappointments edge the uh, the ratified reappointments of Marco Bresciano, Heather Garriock and Katrina Noble for additional two-year terms. Uh, they have been there for the past uh, two years. They make up Football Australia's quota of appointed directors on its board uh, and received thanks from Chris Nick who was, of course, departing for their unwavering service. So I think I mean, we know Heather We know Heather pretty well. Marco Bresciano, we know well, not from a personal perspective on this program, but of course, uh, through his, his feats and deeds in the green and gold uh, and in Italy and at Carlton going back before then. But three appointments, Edge, that have been in for two years. We haven't heard a great deal from them from an administrative sense. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. How do you say it? Well, I think the Federation has benefited from stability uh, under the leadership of Chris Nicu. So those three board directors who were reappointed um, adds to that uh, message of stability. But with Chris Nigu's departure, we now have a, a contest uh, for the who will be the next chairman. And it's down to uh, long-time soccer administrator, Anta Isaac, which is very much a throwback to the past. And, um, you know, uh, he has his supporters and he has a lot of detractors as well. Um, he will be a polarising appointment should he be successful. Um, and also... Uh, Joseph Carozzi, who's been on the board for a little while, and um, um, he's a significant person in his own right. And those two gentlemen out of Sydney are going head-to-head 
uh, to see who's the next chairperson of the federation. And uh, there's a process underway at the moment, and it'll be up to the elected board members uh, to do uh, the job and uh, make an appointment. So there's a fair bit of politicking going on at the moment. Um, have you got a tip, Edge? Uh, no, I don't. I think you think you have a tip, but you're not prepared to reveal it, are you? Uh, I literally do not know. Oh, that sounds like you. I think this is a very tight contest. And, um, yeah, I'm just worried about the fallout of this because um, uh, I'm just worried that because we've had such a long period of stability with Chris Dicku being a consensus candidate that everybody um, got behind and uh, didn't want to challenge, uh, that, that gave an aura of um, stability that I think the game's benefited from. And if we have a, a contest and a split board going forward as a result of um, some unhappy campers about the outcome of this um, process, um, I'm a bit concerned about the retribution that might take place in the bad old days. But let's see what happens. Pararoos and Paramatildas action inbound, Rob. Next up comes the IFCPF Asia Oceania Championships, which are going to be hosted at the brand spanking new home of the Matildas at Latrobe Uni in Melbourne. Uh, 14 Roos, 10 Matildas selected. Uh, and for the Pararoos, still there is David Barber, who at 43 has been a Pararoo for 24 years. He sits on 106 caps, and with this upcoming tournament, he could go past Mark Schwarzer and Tim Cahill, but Schwartz has the record of 109 as Australia's most cap senior men's player yeah i would i would love to see that just um for for the uh, the prestige that it adds um and um and as a dad of uh you know a little boy who uh needs a wheelchair to get around with his cerebral palsy alexander it's just um so encouraging and uplifting um he's 18 years old now and school has been a very safe environment for him consistent when you were, we were going to get every day uh, so to look beyond school for someone like him now, when you, you see uh, the Pararoos and so many uh, uh, sports which have been integrated into society uh, as a, a mainstream um, element is just so encouraging, not only as a parent, but also for a child to say, I've got a life that can uh, can be just as exciting as any other person and it's being supported by the rest of the community. So, you know, at, at a time where there's a lot of uh, uh, disharmony around the world for so many reasons, um, that, that spotlight on on disability and how it's being integrated uh, in, in so many areas across sport is just, uh, you know, a wonderful thing. And great to see Josh Kennedy, Emily Gilnick and Elise Callan-Knight all at the announcement as well. Rob, as you say, all one family. So good luck uh, to all involved when those championships do kick off at La Trobe Uni. And a final one to close. Ange Postacoglu was not on the nose, but probably his stocks were at a, a fairly low point when I started on Box to Box. It was his first year at Yokohama. And you'll recall, Rob, I started Postacoglu Watch the next year as it became apparent that he was yes. going to be uh, right up amongst it. And from there, we have reached a point now where he's become the first manager in Premier League history to have won the first two Manager of the Month awards on offer to him. The last to do so was Jurgen Klopp. It was Jurgen Klopp. You had your, uh, your hand up there and you've absolutely nailed it, Rob. 2019-20, a good year for Liverpool. Well, actually, I had my hand up. It was a great year for Liverpool. But but I was going to point out that some pundits around the world uh, do note that that shift um, in and uh, Ange Postacoglu's uh, fortunes did sh sort of start to change when you put the spotlight on him with Postacoglu Watch. So um, as you move to the UK and, and probably become, you know, a compatriot of Henry Winter, we'll probably see your byline in the Times at some point and we'll 
struggle to get you on, you won't be answering our messages, which I'd ask you to come on as a guest, uh, that that will be where it all began for, for the great Willem van Dendren. Well, that's one thing that won't happen, Rob, because we speak about it all the time. I will answer your call. You know what's interesting? We should get Joseph Sala on the show, who was the president of Brunt of Juventus and the old, they used to be Whittlesea Zebra. There have been all sorts of names over their journey, but uh, Whittlesea Zebras, when they employed an out-of-work Ange Postacoglu who had mm-hmm. them, it ended up getting them relegated out of the Premier League. But <laughs> we should get Joseph on just to talk about uh, the hiring of Ange Postacoglu. Oh, I would love to hear. Well, you know what? He was. Maybe that we, we haven't dropped an episode of Offside for a little while, but maybe that's a conversation that we could have with him just to sort of uh, uh, to dive into the middle yeah, of it. We could start off playing uh, Craig Foster and uh, um, and him having a spray and, and then just build it back up from there. And then, and then at the end of the 23-24 season, Ange lifts the Premier League trophy. Uh, that wouldn't that be... A great time. To do speaking of, if I can jump in, not to talk about myself, but speaking of Joe Salah, Edge, I reckon we learned a bit about him during the vault back in the COVID yes. days when there was no news going on and I had to sit there and come up with something every week. And I think I did 24 vaults and then you got very unhappy, Edge, when there were no more forthcoming. Uh, but yeah, Joe Salah, Brunswick Juventus, we, we know all about him. Yeah, we do. And he's a great man and a very, very good person, a good football person. And um, he's got a very good story about Ange Postacoglu when Ange was out of work. That was obviously before the Brisbane A-League uh, uh, thing that really got him going. And, um, yeah, yeah um, it, it, it is just the ultimate reacts to Rich's story, Ange Postacoglu. All right. Well, if you want to hear that vault episode, just search, you know, box to box the vault and applicable. <laughs> I was going to say scroll and keep on scrolling. <laughs> yeah. All right, boys. Let's wrap it up there. Um, Edge, uh, thanks again, mate. Um, we'll resume this conversation in a couple of days on stoppage time. Look forward to that, Rob. Thank you. And Willem, we'll go around one more time before uh, we, we um, send you off on the big bird. Always time for one more, Rob. Excellent. And the great Adam Maloney sitting there. Matt, prestige. I mean, if you talk about Henry Winter as the best in the business, <laughs> then Adam Maloney uh, is, is, uh, is his peer, absolutely knocking out box-to-box uh, out of the park every single week. Now, if you have a moment, please leave us a review. We love reviews. If you think I'm talking to you, yes, I am. Just scroll down to the bottom of your podcast feed, says review, just give us a nice little five-star review because it does help other people find the podcast and builds our listening base, which we hope we can continue to do, uh, even though we've been going for around six or seven years right now. So make sure you do subscribe to Box to Box, Stoppage Time and Offside. Tweet us or X us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on X. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.